poem. I'm gonna poem you in the poem poem. Poem poem. Poem poem. Poem poem. Poem poem. Poem Disassociate super suspense. Disassociate from the poet on the stage. Super suspense. It's not going back together. Super suspenseful. Super suspenseful. Super suspenseful. Poetry night rings through. This poem is called Unrequited Love Poem by Sierra de Mulder. You will be out with friends when the news of her existence will be accidentally spilled all over your bar stool. Respond calmly as if it were only a change in weather, a punchline you saw coming. After your fourth shot of cheap liquor, leave the image of him kissing another woman in the toilet. In the morning, her name will be in every headline. Car crash, robbery, flood. When he calls you, ignore the hundreds of ropes untangling themselves in your stomach. You're best friends again. He invites you over for dinner and you say yes too easily. Remind yourself this isn't special. It's only dinner. Everyone has to eat. When he greets you at the door, do not think for one second you are the reason he wore cologne tonight. In his kitchen, he will hand-feed you a piece of red pepper. His laugh will be low and warm and will make you feel like candlelight. Do not think this is special. Do not count on your fingers the numbers of freckles you could kiss too easily. Try, not, try to think of pilot lights and olive oil, not everything you have ever loved about him, or it will suddenly feel boiling and possible and so close. You will find her bobby pins laying innocently on his bathroom sink. Her bobby pins. They look like the wire legs of spiders, splinters of her undressing in his bed. Do not say anything. Think of stealing them, wearing them home in your hair. When he hugs you goodbye, let him kiss you on the forehead. Settle for target practice. At home, you will picture her across town pressing her fingers into his back like wet cement. You will wonder if she looks like you. If you are two bedrooms in the same house, did he fall for her features like rearranged furniture when he kisses her? Does she taste like wet paint? You will want to call him. You will go as far as holding the phone in your hand. Imagine telling him unimaginable things like, You are always tickling inside of me, and I dream of you more often than I don't. My body is a dead language, and you pronounce each word perfectly. Do not call him. Fall asleep to the hum of the VCR. She must make him happy. She must be. 
She must be his favorite place in Minneapolis. You are a souvenir shop where he goes to remember how much people miss him when he is gone. Sierra de Malder. Please welcome Laura to the stage. So uh, these are poems by Gertrude Stein. And <laughs> this is uh, from Tender Buttons. And it's called Suppose and Eyes. Suppose it is within a gate which open is open at the hour of closing summer, that is to say it is so. All the seats are needing blackening. A white dress is in sign. A soldier, a real soldier, has a worn lace, a worn lace of different sizes, that is to say, if he can read. If he can read, he is a size to show shutting up 24. Go red, go red, laugh white. Suppose a collapse in rubbed purr, in rubbed purr get. Little sails, ladies, little sails, ladies, little saddles of mutton. Little sails of leather, le leather and such beautiful, 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 beautiful. <laughs> That is Laura reading Gertrude Stein. Do it. Applaud. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Jim Bertolino to the stage. Here's one called The Alleged Conception. Still sitting where Daryl took me to watch gibberish grow wings. I don't feel like a sanitary landfill, but I understand. Her nerves were a basket of strings tangled slightly and swollen with the milky stone. We laughed. A dead cloud stretched it out. We stretched it out over the waterbed, and it got us all drunk. And now Sally's grown a scrotum. Come hook or cry water, I stand accused. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a, it was a, it was a different time. It was a different time then, and I'm a, I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Here's one called the undersea questions. Why did the colonel ride off with the oily cuticle remover? Was he secretly imagining? Dental stimulus? A trap? You know in your way these questions are serious matter. There's a talent you possess which draws us 
to the jaws of a snapping turtle, brings proximity and contact as it pushes through seaweed onto the sill. Life is solving riddles, isn't it? There's a key in sebaceous and fingers making it on their own. I know only that the echo of these questions is inseparable, thrilling, the space we touch through our skin. This one for you Buddhist is entitled The Post-Tantric Kite Fly. Let me put you in touch. You've been so long in the head. Split a melon, musk or cassava, then rest your elbows in the frothy hollows while studying a photo of your lover in nude. This is position one and is imagined while bathing. Now stretching your fingers in direct sunlight, you will notice shortly a tingling in the wrists and a slight pinch at the juncture of kite string and ear being more than a metaphor Behind astral travel, you succeed position six. What obtains is curvature and a parasexual organ of etheric viscosity. Let me put you in tongue. These poems were written, rewritten in Cincinnati. <laughs> Jim Berlino. That was him. The one. The only. Would you please welcome Christian to the stage? Hello, how are you all? Good. I wrote this poem for my mom. It's Mother's Day soon, so I'm going to read this poem. It's for my mom. Don't tell my mother that I am on stage. I don't want her to know what my closet looks like when you open this fourth wall. I don't want her to hear the language of my confessions. Love is always feeling inadequate in these bodies too small to contain our affection. My mother wears the pride I carry on my head around her neck. I live for her bragging rights. She wears love on her palms, and I could tell you right now, Love hurts. I rub the blessings deep into my cheeks, even today. 
My mother wears undying faith in her tired eyes that can make you believe in anything, like a blindfold, with the wrinkles of every smile still childlike pressed at her temples. She deserves the world. Because in hell, hope is a figure of speech, and my mother deserves to see the world with her own eyes. She deserves to see that the world is bigger than her tiny room window. Nobility is the way her head rests imperfectly Sorry, imperfectly on her broken spine, a bundle of shattered stilts still graceful when it tilts, still standing, for this world that hasn't offered her much, still standing, though war has painted war stripes on her back, still standing, even when I ask her to sit on the throne I made from kept promises, untouched plumerias, and long-winded poems, still standing, still standing, my mother wears resilience in her innocence, my mother's standing is a bigger statement than any politician can make, my mother stands with power in her ardent vulnerability, my mother is the purest form of love I know, she stands in front of congregations, crying for my salvation. Begging God for privilege on my behalf. I didn't do anything to to, to to deserve this love. I do the same in front of ours. When I come home, bruised by the world, trying to prove to my mother that I can stand too. My mother likes to say, Son, why do you live so recklessly? You're not going to be young forever. It's worse when I eat. She says, Son, you're so disgusting. Why do you eat like you've never eaten before? Don't tell my mother I'm on stage. I don't want her to know that I learned these things from her. I don't want her to know that I am suited for war. That I'm conscious of our mortality. I live as if tomorrow isn't promised. And I eat as if I will never eat again. Thank you. That is Christian, ladies and gentlemen. Reading poems for the moms. Please welcome Scott Casey. So uh, when I was living in Austin, Texas, I just lived in the back of this house, and the yard was just a tangle of weeds and was never taken care of. And one summer, all of these crazy bugs, like, bloomed out of the ground or something with these, like, blue, bright blue bugs. And um, they were always copulating with each other. It seemed like it. There's always a bug on top of another bug. And they were everywhere, everywhere. I mean, you couldn't go out. You couldn't do anything without seeing thousands of these copulating uh, which we called fuck bugs. So, but, and a after a while, I'd be out there like playing guitar, just sitting around, but I, I kind of would sit and, you know, be drinking and I'd think like, I am your God, you know? <laughs> so, this poem is called Your Suffering is a Poem to Me. Days run off like wild horses. There's never enough time, never enough to do what? What is it that requires so much time? Then, sitting on the back porch playing guitar with all the world in time, the time of the song being somehow outside of time, and the sun is setting, 
the stars through the bare branches of the trees. Maybe I'll paint a mural on the walls of the garage, something no one will ever see. Maybe I'll create a new language for pain. Maybe a cathedral of twigs, spending all my time with the fuck bug worshippers, thundering <laughs> above them. Can't you fuckers see I'm building you a goddamn cathedral? <laughs> Get in line, repent ye insects. And then delivering a fiery sermon amongst the twigs where at the height of my argument, crushing the cathedral, destroying all those that have gathered with him, wailing with the terrible voice of the Lord, your suffering is a poem to me. What you call thinking is just laughter. I am the Lord, your God. Then I stomp around the backyard in a storm of leaves and sticks. Yes, there's time for this. There's plenty of time for this. And later, cool again under the stars, singing quietly to the wrecked and wretched faithful about God's skull and God's bones. Ah, you should have seen it. The bones of an enormous beast out there in the desert. Can you imagine what once was when there was a center, when the sparrow and the star fell under constant gaze? We cannot even imagine such a time. Our days were just sad beasts standing in the sun. Thank you. Scott Casey, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Matt Gaynor to the stage. This is called How to Rule. Um, yeah. Okay. Start by building an RC car racetrack on the empty lot next to your house. Don't let any of the neighbor kids play with it. Only you and Big Kevin can touch it. Tell your little brother he's not old enough and to go back inside. Then mock him when he cries. <laughs> Tell Eric, the kid from across the cul-de-sac, to fuck off and go home. Because if he helps you build it, you can tell. He'll be playing on your track all the time without permission. Never take shit from anyone younger than you, regardless of size. Big kids rule and bigger in age is all that matters. On the bus home from school, learn how to say and properly project phrases like eat shit shit eater and buttfucker from Craig the Mormon kid. <laughs> Apply these insults timely to anyone who dares to step on your racetrack. This will spark a block feud with Eric and his ally Justin, another punk kid from next door. Battle with dirt clods. When Eric says he'll box you to settle it, except in an instant. Land a hundred left jabs and walk him in circles around his garage that reeks like wet hockey equipment. Punch his nose till he quits. Slam the gloves on the concrete. Laugh in his face, then leave when his older brother threatens to kick your ass and calls Eric a pussy. Always stand up for your own little brother, even if he annoys the shit out of you. When he comes home crying because Eric and Justin threw him in the Arbavita, run outside and punch Eric in the eye. Feel the knuckle of your thumb sink into his fat socket. Let his eye squish remind you of testing biscuit dough. Tell them both with spit on your lips. Nobody makes my brother cry but me. Uh, this is relevant for today. This is about Seattle, but fits here too. The sun is running its fingers through my house plants. Outside, East Madison runs with motorcycle and morning. Capitol Hill is roasted espresso and always under construction. 
When the clouds burn off and the pavement dries, it seems the sidewalks are as tired of being slick as the rest of us. New heat pulls the black from our clothes. A rare blue sky pins our boots to the shoe rack. We turn to shorts. We turn shirtless at 64 degrees. We turn to the sound, to the smell of evergreen musk mixed with salt from Elliott Bay. The waves on Lake Washington are happy to lap their dog day tongues onto attended beaches. The city jitters in summer when it is too hot for coffee. Exactly how we like it. Yeah. All right. Um, so one for towards the end, and this, this one's short. This is a little love poem. This is called Skinning Midnight. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's a love poem, but you'll see what I mean. She looks steel in that blue dress, her curves swaying every man in the room, dropping them to their balls. From the bar, through whiskey, I watch her work, watch charm spilling from her like ice filling a bartender's well. From my seat, I can see the slipping distance between us. She holds a room better than she holds a lover. At home, when her dress is peeled off like midnight, carefully skinned, she puts her back toward me in bed, her sharp side like a tattooed glacier. Her nape is neon humming, a closing sign. Thanks. Matt Gano, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Danielle to the stage, ladies and gentlemen. This one is called Mundane Details on an Afternoon. I'm moving out in a week, and all you want for your birthday is a key lime pie. So after driving to three different stores, I'm at the checkout, pie tin on the conveyor belt, sipping my stale fast food drive through coffee. I'm standing behind a father and son, and as the son tries to count out $5.57 to pay for his trail mix and his donuts, fumbling with his Velcro wallet with a coin pouch, his father asks, you got 57 cents? If not, give her one of them dollars. Then begins helping him count quarters, a nickel, pennies. I miss my father. The way that he would teach me when I was not much older than this child now to write checks saying, hey, bud, help your old pop pay these bills. How would you write this to the gas company, the electric company, the mortgage? In his voice, the sound of the South still present as if he never left it. And I'm hit with a sudden feeling of loss. You reminded me so much of him, his body type, the small towns that forged you both, the way my mother warned not to fall in love with anyone like either one of you, but I fell anyway. I watched the father drop copper nickel and copper-plated zinc into his son's tiny palm, the other holding bills folded like small silos. It's Saturday. I'm moving out in a week. You're helping me pack, then drinking to forget me with someone from the Midwest, a reminder of the home that you miss. It's raining.
Danielle, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Mark Anderson to the stage. This poem is called, So You Want Me to Fall in Love with You. That's the problem with stuffed animals. No matter how hard you squeeze one, you don't feel a heartbeat. But it works. Squeeze a stuffed platypus and get rid of your dread. My first nightmare felt so real, I was terrified for years. It's funny now. I never met a ten-foot-tall hairy demon with ox horns grinning yellow teeth anywhere else. I can still see it, though, decades later. In the dream, I plunged my head under the blankets. Don't eat me, please, oh monster. So you want me to fall in love with you, and I'm 24 years old, and you're wondering if I'm a child, or maybe you're the childish one, and I'm the stuffed animal. But one of us is definitely afraid of the dark. That's the problem with stuffed animals. Everyone gets bigger around them, and they're still so small. I wanted my arm, my mom to link arms with me so that when the monster came and I died, my soul wouldn't float away. She didn't know what was wrong with this child who had never seen death but felt it all, all around him. There's no monsters, honey. Let me tell you a story. Hold this stuffed platypus your sister bought you with her own money. You're not going to die. One day, you're going to get married, and you'll have kids, and you'll be all grown up, and you'll leave me, but that's okay. And I said, I might leave, but I'll come back, and I'll always have a room in my house for you. She smiled, and I'm sure she cried with a complex, grown-up emotion when I finally fell to sleep. One day, little one, you will have children of your own, and they'll grow up and leave you too. I was 11 years old and Joe was dying, and I didn't actually know him, but two days before he passed, I held his hand and said all the right things that no one else could say. My mom and my aunt were speechless when I told him he'd done enough, and it wasn't any use being sorry or afraid for anything anymore, and that there is love after death. I still thought kissing and or church bells were where babies came from. He'd been all, waiting all his life to be told those things. That's the problem with stuffed animals. They are good at comforting everyone else, but can do nothing for themselves. And I wake thinking about death again. I take a hatchet to the walls. I light a signal fire and hope it gets to someone. I hope someone gets what it means. Thank you. Mark Anderson. Shit did get real. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Michael Schoenberg to our Stage. So hot. 
So, uh, really great to be back in Bellingham, and I wrote this poem um, maybe three months ago, and I didn't realize it had an epigraph, and it's printed behind me, actually. Um, sometimes I wish I had a heart, but then I remember heartache. I have a small robot living on my desk. It is a love robot, but can only communicate in short strings of beeps, boops, and the occasional click. Love robot, I'll say. Nobody understands. I have so many feelings. They're too large and unwieldy. They make me feel uncomfortable. Beep, it says, and hugs my arm. This is what it always says. But love robots, I say. I may hurt myself or worse someone else. What if this untamed torrent of emotion springs forth at an unfortunate time, like when I'm talking to somebody? Boop, beep, beep, it says, LED eyes glowing a soft red back at me. Love robot, I say. You answer none of my questions. The human experience is too vast for your basic programming. You cannot comprehend the agony that eventually comes from our all too temporary spurts of happiness. You know nothing of the, what it is to stare into the existential abyss that is our mortality. <laughs> Click, it says, with the earnest head tilt of a small kitten. <laughs> I walk away in a huff. The love robot is one step away from a toaster, programmed for but one task. It takes what you give it, and in return gives you all it has. Silly robot, clearly you know nothing of human love. When my horse Peaches died, she was 38 and so filled with arthritis it hurt to look at her. Her best friend was a goat named Jezebel, which was appropriate because Peaches thought she was a goat and Jezebel thought she was a horse. On the night Peaches died, we led her into her stall and she backed her rump up into the corner of the stall and Jezebel propped herself up underneath her chest, both knowing that if Peaches lay down this night, she would not get back up again. There they stayed until she died. I am not as strong as Jezebel. Please do not ask me why I choose to linger before going home. Michael Schoenberg, ladies and gentlemen. Some call him Pretty City, myself included. There you go. That's what you get. Whole bunch of poetry. Like, is the apocalypse happening already? Like, is the apocalypse happening already? Constantly make really weird, suggestive, suggestive things, things about how you're aroused by jellyfish. Aroused by jellyfish. So poetry. Let's get back to that.